For those of you that weren't in here when we got started, good morning. There you go. And I didn't wave this morning. I'm sorry about that. I forgot. I always do the wave. Okay. Anyway, glad that you're here today, uh, that you've joined us. For those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is John, and I'm really, really glad that you have joined us. We are in the middle of a series called Solid Ground, and we kind of talked about that a bit through our worship set today. We're trying to build our life on something that is rock solid, something that is not going to, or should I say, someone who is not going to change when the situation around us changes. And uh, that's good because we live in a very frustrating world. <laughs> and if you're an amening kind of person, you might amen that one. We live in a frustrating world where things just don't work like we want them to. And they don't work like often we think that they should, which is hard, especially for people who have some level of moral character in their life to look at the world and to see people who don't have that kind of character, who don't have those kinds of values, making decisions and changing things and impacting in such a way. And it's hard, especially, and I say especially now, I think it's always been like this, but to look at the world and say, it's just not fair. It's just not fair that things are like they are. It's just not fair. Like right now, the the key situation happening in the world. We look across uh, the, the other side of the world to what's happening in the Ukraine, and we see how Russia has invaded and is taking over, and we see the atrocities that are happening, and we see people in the leadership positions who are making those decisions, like, like Putin, who is making decisions, and we look and see how much power and influence and all of this that a person like that has, and we go, it's just not fair. It's not fair that someone like that has that kind of power, that has that kind of influence, that is able to do and wield the kind of stuff they can wield in order to do those kinds of things to people. It is not fair. And you're right. We do not live in a world that is fair. We do not live in a world where people get what they deserve. It's nice to think that, and I know we all want that, but it's not the way the world around us wants, or it's not the way the world around us is. Because this world is ruled by our enemy, Satan. Jesus Christ is our coming king, but he is not ruling the world here now. He's ruling in our hearts, those of us that are believers, but he's not ruling in the world here. And so we live in a world and in a structure where the good guy doesn't win. That's not how it works here. One day it will be. One day Christ will return and we'll set things right the way it's supposed to be. But for now, we have to live in the world that we live in. But we have this deep sense of right and wrong and fairness and unfairness, that in our hearts, and even though we know it doesn't work this way, in our hearts, we want what we would categorize as good people to get good things, and we want bad people to get bad things, right? Everyone should get what they deserve. That's what we feel. Everybody should receive what they put out into the world. That's what they should get back. That's the way our mind works. It's the way our heart works, and it's what we want to see happen. And in some sense, in, in, in just a basal understanding of humanity, I think all of us agree with that, and we want that to be the case. But the truth is that God does not necessarily look at things that way. And we are not necessarily supposed to look at things that way. Dealing out justice, dealing out judgment, dealing out what we think people deserve. And so we're going to get to a place in the Sermon on the Mount today where Jesus is going to say something. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right out out of the gate, it is going to be very counterintuitive and challenging for us. 
because we as humans have this deep sense of right and wrong and that people should get what they deserve and that we should treat people in a way that we are treated. Yet that is not what Jesus is going to say, and there's a reason for that, but there's not what Jesus is going to say, and it's a very challenging thing to read, very challenging thing to understand, and it's certainly a very challenging thing for us to apply. And so I'm really looking forward to the conversations that everybody's going to have in group this week as you talk about the actual situations you're in in your life and how to apply what we learn here today to those situations because there's some really tough ones. Uh, Last week, we talked about the importance of our word and our commitments and our oaths and our covenants. And we talked about Jesus, you know, brought up the the, the issue of marriage and divorce. And that brought up a lot of conversations this past week and, and the commitments that you make. And what we talk about today is in many cases going to apply to those situations that you were already started talking about last week. All right. But this is where we're, we're getting in in Matthew chapter five. And um, Jesus has been teaching for a while. He's actually going to finish up this sort of section of the message where he's been doing the, you heard it said, but I tell you things. So we're going to get the last two of those today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus says, you have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I think most of us are like, sounds good. You know, <laughs> I like it. And, and we're kind of hoping that Jesus is going to say, but I tell you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But that's not what he's doing, is it? So he's got something else to tell us. This was a very common teaching for them. They called it the law of retaliation. Okay, it's an official thing. So the law of retaliation, and it was taken out of several verses um, kind of put together. Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 1921. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, this law was put in place, the law of retaliation, and it was really to defend the rights of a victim, all right, that, that somebody who was victimized wanted to see justice done, and they said, well, in that case, then what has been taken by the person must be repaid, not less and not more, and that's the right of the victim. Now, this, is, this law was not about personal retaliation. It wasn't like, oh, you took my, you know, ox, and so I'm going to take your ox. That's not the way that it worked. It was meant to be dealt out in a court situation or in a legal situation, and it was a guideline by which they would give judgment or punishment to somebody. They would say, well, this is the phrase that we would use today probably, the punishment must fit the crime. The punishment must fit the crime. And obviously, this, this is something that resonates with all of us. I think on some level, we agree with this. It is your right, in essence, to get even or for it, the score to be evened. Maybe that's the way to look at it. And uh, this is an idea that I can really resonate with because I had a brother and a sister growing up. <laughs> and when you, have, when you have siblings, when you have siblings, you want everything to be even. It's always got to be even. It's got to be fair. I remember, and I remember, um, this is, it's never more obvious than at Christmas, right? At Christmas, you sit down. I know it's not Christmas season. We're in spring, but let's, let's flash back to Christmases as children. And under the tree, we'd all start opening presents. And I had an older sister, Jen, and, well, I have an older sister, Jen, and a younger brother, Jared. So I'm a middle child. Uh, and... Uh, Anyway, you know, the best part of the sandwich is in the middle of the sandwich. Uh, it's not the bread. But uh, 
just saying. But uh, I remember on Christmas morning, we would start opening presents, and in my head, I had a spreadsheet rolling. Okay, like calculating not only how many presents each of us got and was that even, but also I was estimating values of presents as well and trying to figure out if maybe Jen's total went above ours. And listen, if Jen got more presents than me or more valuable presents than me at Christmas, bad Christmas, all right? It set the tone for the rest of the year because it had to be fair, right? It had to be even, always had to be fair, always had to be even. This is something that resonates with us at like a soul level. And so Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And everybody's like, yeah, that's right. And then maybe they've picked up on his technique at this point and they're like, oh no, what's coming? (laughs) He's not going to say that's not right, right? What could he say other than that? Because we know that that's right. We know that's the right way to look at people. We know it's the right way to look at the world. We know it's the right way to look at judgment. So what could Jesus say? What could he say that would be truer than that? Well, let's see. Verse 39. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. I don't know, you know, (laughs) you're going to have to give me a little more than that. What do you mean don't resist an evil? You You mean someone could do something evil to me and I would not do something back to them? He says, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, Let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Well, now this is a really different thing. This is really different than fair. This is really different than what we think of as justice. The first thing he says, and he gives examples, and by the way, he gives examples in decreasing intensity, which I think is interesting. Like he, he starts with the most offensive thing down to the least offensive thing. And he says, if somebody slaps you on your right cheek, like somebody just, in, and it's not a punch, okay? This is not somebody just, you know, you know, cold cocking you from the back of the room kind of thing. This is somebody who walks up to you and in your face slaps you in your face. And I, and I saw a couple people say that in order to get slapped on your right cheek, if you're the person who's assaulting you is right-handed, then they would have to backhand you across the face, which would be a, a tremendous insult in their society. Now, I think that's probably overanalyzing it too much, but I think it brings up the point of what Jesus is saying, that somebody slaps you on the cheek, they are personally offending you, okay? This is a personal, direct offense. And then he says, uh, if someone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. So the tunic would have been the undergarment, like your T-shirt, and the cloak would have been your outer garment, like your coat, all right? So if they want to take your shirt, Give them your coat, too. He's like, no, I should take their shirt, you know? (laughs) That's not what he says. And he says, and whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him, too. 
This may be a reference to to the fact that um, people in this day were under Roman control, and Roman soldiers could historically make someone carry something for them. But they were only allowed to make them carry it for a thousand steps. So we just translate that to a mile. It's roughly a mile. But for a thousand steps, they can make you carry their pack or whatever. Uh, A man is made to carry Jesus's cross when Jesus is being, as he's going to be crucified. That compelled under the law to do that, to carry that cross. And Jesus is saying, if they make you do that, go twice as far. Go the extra mile. You've heard that phrase? Yeah, this is where it comes from. Go the extra mile. It says, now to to the simple example of someone asking to borrow, give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Now, the first thing we need to understand, we've talked about this over the last few weeks as Jesus has been doing these. You've heard it said, but I say to you things. We need to understand that Jesus is intentionally using dramatic, drastic statements here to get people's attention. So he is intentionally sort of provoking them or antagonizing them or taking it to an extreme. It's a form of hyperbole, and he uses it as a teaching technique very often in Scripture. So you have to understand that. So when he says, uh, do not resist an evil person, I don't think he's saying that we're never supposed to stand up for what's right or we're never supposed to, to, to stand up and do what's right. We're never supposed to oppose someone who's doing evil. I don't think that he's saying that. I think Jesus is trying to make a dramatic statement to, to shake their mentality so that they begin to look at and think about people differently. Also, I don't think he's talking about broad situations where people are doing evil. So we take like the situation with Russia and Ukraine and you know the, the decisions that Vladimir Putin is, is making. I don't think in any way Jesus would be saying, yeah, don't stand up to him. Just let him run rampant and do whatever he wants. He's not saying that. Jesus is talking about when someone comes and personally offends you. This is an interpersonal thing, not like a large social political thing. This is a personal thing where someone comes and they assault you and you have to decide how you're going to respond to it. Really, it's more, it's less about our response, frankly, and more about our heart. See, I don't think that this is in any way a prohibition against justice. Justice is good. Justice is, God is just, okay? This is a prohibition against vengeance. And justice and vengeance are two different things. Like, I don't think that a Christian is required to just allow someone to assault them and to just take it every time. I don't think that if somebody comes and commits a crime against you as a Christian, you're out of your rights to press charges or to have charges pressed against that person. But the problem and what has been the thread that's been weaving through everything Jesus has said over the last couple of weeks as we've been teaching, the problem here is not justice. The problem here is our vengeance. It's our anger. It's how we look and think about the person who has offended us. And this was a situation that where what they had were religious leaders that were very vengeful, that were very judgmental, that loved to go back and attack someone who had attacked them. It was kind of part of the MO. But Jesus is in the process of transforming our hearts, not just our actions. As he transforms our hearts, our actions change. 
But what he's getting at here is something on a deeper level. And there's a difference between judgment and vengeance. Because vengeance is aggressive. Vengeance is punitive. While justice is not. Justice can be done in love. Vengeance is laced with anger. It's laced with pride. And Jesus is trying to transform our hearts. He goes on to another idea that is very much related and is going to give us some more, um, some more perspective. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, only half of that statement is in Scripture, by the way. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself which Jesus affirmed as equally important as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those two are the same. They go together. But the teaching that was being done was that you are to love your neighbor, but you could hate your enemy. And their understanding was, first of all, that your enemy would be your enemy, anybody who had offended you, but also that your enemy was also anybody who was not a Jew. And so they hated uh, people who were not Jewish. In fact, at one point, um, Jesus had affirmed this teaching of loving your neighbor as yourself, and someone came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Define your terms. Who are you talking about? And then he proceeded to tell one of the most famous parables in the entire Bible, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where there was a Jewish man who was beaten and robbed along the side of the road and left for dead, and a Jewish priest came by and passed by on the other side of the road. And then a Levite came by, and he passed by on the side of the road. But then a Samaritan, who the Jews hated because they were their enemy, came by, and he had compassion on the man who was hurt. And interestingly, in that story, I think it's always important to point out, Jesus asked the question when he's done telling the story about how this, this Samaritan man had cared for this Jewish man, how, how, and it's incredible the lengths to which he went, that Jesus finishes up by, not by making a statement, but by asking a question. And Jesus says, who was a neighbor to the man in need? That it's not about who the other person is, it's about who you are. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here, verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. You know, we look at this idea, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, and say, well, yeah, but that's like such a natural way to think. And you're right. It is a natural way to think. But the supernatural is better. I'm thankful that God didn't look at us 
and say, you know what? You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. You want to be my enemy? You can be my enemy. You want to walk away from me? Then walk. You want to hurt me? Then I'm going to hurt you back to the same level that you hurt me. And and under our understanding of justice, God has every right to do that. And he does have a right to do it. But God, because he is loving, chooses differently. He chooses grace. He does not have to give grace. He chooses grace. And if I want to be called his son, then that doesn't mean if I want to be saved. It just means if I want to be identified with him, if I want to live like him and think like him and be like him, then I need to make the same choice. That even though I do have, I'm well within my rights to get even. And nobody would blame me for that. If someone hurts me, for me to hurt them back to the same level they hurt me, everybody around me would say, go, get them. They deserve it. But if I want to be identified as a child of God, and if I want to emulate him, then I need to make a different choice. The same way he made a different choice. And while we were yet sinners... While we had our backs turned to him and were enemies of God, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He didn't have to do that. Jesus did not have to give his life. In fact, before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed and he said, God, if there's any other way. But there was no other way. And so Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross in our place to offer us grace and forgiveness. And all we have to do is believe And put our faith in him for salvation. And we are forgiven. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. And so if we are going to be his children, if we are going to build our life on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, then we, as hard as it is, as counterintuitive as it is, as tough a pill as it is to swallow, we are going to make the same choice. And we're going to choose to look at people with love and compassion and grace and mercy instead of judgment and vengeance. But that is incredibly difficult. Jesus said that we're supposed to love our enemies, have compassion for those who have contempt for you. He said to bless your cursors, and that is meaning that we speak well of people who speak poorly of us. Sometimes that is the, uh, that's the subtle vengeance that we get. Like, oh, you're going to talk bad about me? (laughs) Boy, do I have some dirt. And it's not even to their face. It's not even when they're around. In fact, usually it isn't. It's, It's when we're talking to other people. Let's see if I can tear them down the same way they've torn me down. It is incredibly hard to speak well of somebody who doesn't speak well of you. But Jesus said we're supposed to bless those that curse us. And then he said we're supposed to serve our haters. (laughs) That those who undercut us and cut us down, we're supposed to support and build up to do good. These are incredibly difficult things. (laughs) And I know that we've got lots of different situations. You know, you've, you've got a life and experience and relationships and a past, and I do too. 
and we have come across people who have treated us poorly, have victimized us, have hurt us. And we have to decide. And some of those people are still in our lives right now. And for the people that aren't in our lives, we have to, we have to determine to decide how we're going to think about them with hindsight and how that affects us today. But the people who are in our life right now, we have to decide how we are going to behave, how we are going to treat them, how we're going to think about them. The people who have assaulted us. Let me tell you one of those one of the most powerful things that I've been taught in this. And this is this is the hardest thing is to change your mentality about somebody, to see them as different. Because we turn them into an enemy. We turn them into this evil thing that exists. In fact, often we turn people into concepts more than people anyway, which is why things often change when that person is actually in front of you. You know, you think one way about them and it just kind of builds and grows and grows and gets worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden they're sitting in front of you and you're like, oh, that's not as bad as I thought it was. You ever been in that situation before? Uh, You're not as evil as I made it. You ought to be in my mind. Uh, We have to decide how we're going to think about people. And one of the greatest techniques I ever learned, someone said, if there's someone that you are frustrated with, angry with, if you struggle with the, your, the way you think about them, is to pray for them every day. Okay? And get the words right. Not pray about them. That's a different thing. Okay? <laughs> not, not pray against them, which is a very different thing. <laughs> But, but Lord, pray your vengeance would be, you know, and it's not that, all right? It's to pray for them, Lord, and, and, and to learn how to see them with eyes of compassion instead of judgment, to understand that they're a sinner, and they're just, they might be totally out of control, you know, totally out of control of their own sin, and to have compassion on them, to have pity on them, because that's what they're living in, and to pray for them that God would change their heart that God would move them, and then to be open to the idea that he might do it. Because <laughs> sometimes we pray for people, and we pray that, you know, God would change your heart, God would change your heart, but we don't really mean it, and we don't really want to accept it if they do. <laughs> Why? Because we want them to pay for what they did, even though we're acting like we're praying for them. So this, is, this really is a change of heart, which then flows out into a change of action and should. That's why Jesus says, do good to those who persecute you and spitefully use you. This idea uh, is, is fleshed out all throughout the New Testament because it's such a hard thing for us to understand. What does it look like? Paul, uh, when he's writing to the Romans in chapter 12, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. All, all men and women, by the way. (laughs) Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So if there is consequence to be dealt out for their actions, that is God's responsibility, and he will do it rightly, not my responsibility, and rarely will I do that rightly. So we need to allow God to judge what God is going to judge. That's not our job. Verse 20, therefore, here's the application. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, 
Give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, I think it was it. I think it might have been Gandhi that said, an eye for an eye just makes the whole world blind. I think Jesus got to it first, okay? <laughs> he understands that if, if we just live in this cycle of repaying evil for evil, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, nothing good comes out of that. All it is is destructive. All it does is leave us blind and toothless. It, it just, it, it takes away, it doesn't add to. But to choose grace and to choose mercy adds to. It builds up instead of just taking away. Paul said, give him a drink, feed him. Heap coals of fire on his head. There's a lot of debate about what that means. Either way, the point is the same. Serve them. Serve them. And when you serve them, maybe, maybe your response not being what they expect, because when you do evil to someone, you expect evil in return. That's what you expect. And when you get something different in return, when that person serves you and loves you and cares for you, that is disruptive. It is unsettling because it just doesn't feel right. Like, that's not what's supposed to happen in this scenario. You think something's up, you think something's weird. What it is, is it's contrast. It's contrast. It's them giving the, oftentimes, you can't see your own darkness until it's contrasted to the light. And they may not ever see their own darkness until it's contrasted to the light that's in you. And so when you choose to respond in grace and mercy, it creates this dramatic separation between two things. It's dynamic. And maybe, maybe that contrast is enough to snap them out of what they're doing and for them to change. Sometimes it just makes people angrier, though, you need to know, because they want to provoke the response that they're expecting. Don't give it to them. Don't give it to them. Make them sit in that and see that. And experience the difference between darkness and light. To see, experience the difference between grace and judgment. To experience the difference between what is supernatural and what is natural. To experience the difference between what is honoring and glorifying to God and what is honoring and glorifying to us. Jesus said it's only natural. It's only natural to love those who love you. But what reward is that? Everybody does that. We have to understand that when we, when we choose to respond this way and to respond in grace instead of retaliation, that that may not lead to any reward here. Like it might make things worse. We don't recapture what we lost. What we have to remember, though, is that our hope and our reward and our joy isn't here. It's coming. And when Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom, we will be rewarded. God sees us. He knows. He he, he understands. But when we choose to respond in the way that he responds, then he will reward us for that. It will come around. It will come full circle. We just may not see it yet. He said that we need to we need to greet. So when you greet, if you only greet your brethren, what do you do that's different than anyone else? 
And what he means is, when he says greet, he means a warm, receptive embrace or hug. That's the term that he uses. If you embrace only your brother. You see, this is, this is you know, they would greet everyone. But there's a, a warmth and a depth and a genuineness to greeting someone that you love and a coldness to greeting someone that you're an enemy to. And Jesus is saying that it needs to be the same for both. There's a difference between when we, you see someone out that you really, really care about and you're really close to, and you're leaving and you say, you know, this is the, the, the reverse greeting, but you're leaving and you say, it was good to see you. Like in your heart, you're like, yeah, it was really good to see you. But then you ran into somebody that you don't like at all, and you had to talk to them because society. And as you leave, you're like, it was good to see you. And in your head, you're hoping, like, I hope it's the last time for a while, you know? <laughs> Don't need to again. Wouldn't recommend. One star, you know? <laughs> like, that's, that, there's a difference between the genuineness of those greetings, of the care, of the love, of the service that we are doing. It is really a changing and a conforming to the image of Christ that's happening on a soul level, on a heart level. Jesus finishes this section, such a dramatic statement. He finishes this section by saying this to everyone. He's given them this, you know, you've heard it said, this is what I say. And then in verse 48, he says, therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I don't think some people read this as a a command, you shall be perfect. That's not how I read it. That's not how I think Jesus intended it. I think what he means is if you do these things that I've been talking about, and not even just the things I've been talking about, but also the greater picture of what I've been talking about, if you build your heart on me, if you build your life on me, if you build your life on truth and love and and grace and all these things we've been talking about, commitment and all these things, then you will be emulating the Father Like, you want to grow in perfection. If you want to grow in righteousness, do these things. Be these things. And allow God to transform you from the inside out. It's a causal statement that as we do these things, we are perfected, knowing that we won't be perfect until we are perfected later. We won't be perfected here, but it's still our pursuit, even though we we know we won't get there. We want to be as righteous as we can be. And these are the building blocks, the things we've, Jesus has been talking about. You know, we often think that righteousness, that perfection, comes from thinking about God clearly and living that out. And it does. But equally, it comes from thinking about others clearly and living that out. And living with the same grace and mercy and commitment and love all of these things that Jesus talked about, they weren't about our relationship with God. They are by, by association. But the things that he's talked about in this section are about our relationships with other people. Learning how to look at others. Because I think that loving God is the easy part. Because <laughs> God is perfect and he doesn't offend us. <laughs> and he's also not physical and right in front of our face. And he doesn't post things on social media. Right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> And so God often for us is not as tangible as other people. And so where we often need the most work is in our relationships with other people. 
And so Jesus says, if you want to be perfect like he is perfect, these are the things. Peter, the Apostle Peter, we'll just finish with this scripture today. It says essentially the same thing. But in 1 Peter chapter 2, he's, he's talked here about when you um, suffer for your own mistakes. And like that's natural. But um, he says, but when you do good and suffer. So when you're doing the right things, and it's coming back on you. If you take it patiently, he says, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. We've been talking groups this week about what that phrase right there means. Committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We want our life to be built on the firm foundation of Jesus, the over shepherd and overseer of our soul. And we need to choose what he chooses. And he chooses grace. And so we too should choose grace. This is what we're called to. And when we choose grace, it doesn't always work out for us the way we want it to. You just need to know that. In the Christian life, there's a lot of joy, and there's a lot of hope, and there's a lot of victory. But we also need to understand at the same time that we are called to suffering. Because in a world that's run the way this world is run by the people that it's run by, with our enemy being the king of this world now, when we do the right things, we will not always win. Not now anyway. And so if we're going to be faithful and we're going to do this, we have to be willing to endure that suffering. We have to be willing to pay that price now and not bend and not break and not fold, but to resolutely be who God has called us to be no matter what happens to us. And we can't do that alone. All right, On our own, we are just too weak. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to talk this stuff through. That's why, we need to, that's why we need to get together in groups and in other places and discuss the situations that we're facing and how we're responding and have accountability and discussion about those things. And it's why every single day we have to lean on the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit so that we can hear from God and what he wants us to do in those situations, that he gives us the strength to follow through when the time comes so we don't relent and we don't give in, that we make the same choice he made grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. 
You could just give us what we deserve. You are the creator of the universe well within your rights to do that. But in your love, you've made a different choice. And so we thank you. In your mercy and in your kindness, you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, that in your love and kindness, you gave your life on the cross for us. And so I thank you. We thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have, not only that we can be saved by faith in Jesus and trust him for salvation, but the hope that we have in the resurrection, that Jesus, you came back to life, and just as you've been raised to life, we too are raised to life. And so God, here's, you know our hearts, and you know the struggle and the battle that we have this inner sense of fairness and rightness that it's hard for us to make a different choice which is why we need you we need your example we need the example of Jesus and we thank you for that we need the leadership of the spirit every single day to apply this to the situations and the people that we interact with the people who are actively hurting us that that when that that tinge of vengeance, anger, hatred, frustration begins to well up inside of us. That the Spirit steps in and says, no. Hold us back, Lord. Redirect us. Give us perspective and compassion and love. Help us to see people with the same eyes that you see them. To offer them grace just as you have offered us grace. That's a transformation, God, that we need you to do in our heart that will affect our entire life, hard as it is. And when it's hard, God, when it's, when we, when it makes us feel like a doormat, remind us that we are not. We're a door. And that we're helping to create contrast in the world so people can see your love and your grace. To provide a platform on which we can share your truth. I pray that in situations in this room, uh, as people in this room are thinking about that person. Thinking about that person. That you would give them the, the resolution. That you would give them the determination to be who you want them to be with that person. And then we pray to God, we pray God today for that person that you would use that contrast in their heart. If what they're doing is wrong, to show them what they're doing is wrong. That it might lead them to repentance. That it might lead them to faith. We know that's difficult. God, we know that that is rare, but it is possible. So help us to seek it in your power, in your strength, in your leadership. Help us to love our enemies, God. As we pray for those who persecute us, show us how to do good 
is so difficult and counterintuitive for us, God. And so we lean on your help because we want to build our life on you. We want to build our life on Jesus Christ. And this is how he lived. So we want to live this way too. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.